This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett on this Monday morning, the very earliest uh, days of spring. Um, the azaleas are starting to show off a little bit, as are the irises in my yard. Welcome. It is a glorious um, sight to see spring all over Jackson. It, it it was a beautiful weekend. It was. The weather was fantastic. So I uh, hope you got out and enjoyed. Well, I was out picking daffodils. There you go. There you go. I bet you all got a fields full of them around the we lake. We have fields full of them. They're, they're absolutely beautiful. But I uh, also had a chance to go fishing. And I can't show a picture of my fish over the radio, but I'll show it to you. However, you did. It was a big fish. Just one, but it was a big fish. Wow. Bass? A bass. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Mal, happy birthday tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much, you know. Uh, you know, last week I told you I was going to order you those new Crocs, yeah. those Kentucky Fried Chicken yeah. Crocs. <laughs> you did. They didn't come in. Thankfully. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I appreciate the, the uh, Croc thought. And, uh, and I look forward to them when they arrive. So what'd you cook this weekend? I know you've been out uh, in uh, Terry in the woods. Edwards, man. Edwards, Edwards sorry. Edwards. Wrong community. Sorry, John. <laughs> but um, I, I did a whole lot of cooking this weekend, and there was some good, uh, and some was, I wouldn't even say bad, but really ugly. You just threw it out. I just had to throw <laughs> it out. But the good was um, whole flounder on Friday night. That you got from? Uh, John Lester mm-hmm. at Dugan's Seafood, the trailer in the DeVille Plaza parking lot. He had whole flounder this he week. He had whole flounder. Mm-hmm. And I had that and made like a, a Chinese-type broccoli with oyster sauce. Oh, boy. It was delicious. Then made oyster po'boys for Saturday lunch, some good mm. fried oysters. But the worst was... I've been working on my New Year's resolution, you know, baking biscuits. Right. I made a critical error Uh-oh. on the biscuits. What happened? I opened the oven to turn the pan halfway, and I noticed that they were like the size of silver dollars. Uh, no rise. No rise. I had forgotten for- to use self-rising flour. Well, well, well. It happens to all of us. Well, these biscuits were so bad that later <laughs> in the, the day, dog well, would I, not actually, I saw the dog out by the front door burying a oh. biscuit, and he buries a lot of things. But uh, I took it personally that he really, he really hated the biscuit. <laughs> he thought the biscuit was a bone. So I had, I had some d- describe uh, it. white lily shipped out to the country. Somebody uh. was coming from town, and so I retried it on on Sunday morning. Well. Um, I went to New Orleans on uh, Friday and uh, attended, went to the Ogden Museum of the South and saw the uh, William uh, Christenberry show, which actually closed yesterday. So uh, William Goodman and I drove down and spent half the day uh, in the Ogden. And William Goodman is one of our fine, fine young artists in Mississippi. Yes, he is. And uh, we had a great day. We went to lunch uh, at Pesh, which is the first time I've ever eaten at Pesh. That's Chef Donald Link's restaurant, one of my favorites. And we had some smoked drum that was outrageous. 
We had some fish sticks that were just divine. We, we Not like mama's fish sticks no, back no. in the 60s? Actually, catfish uh, cooked in a uh, tempura batter. Wow. Really good and a fantastic tartar sauce. But we ordered a whole bunch of stuff, and it was all super good. We ate the gumbo because William and I talked about gumbo all the way down there. So when we got there, we both ordered it. But Pesh is a, a, a great, um, great restaurant, a, a part of an empire, I guess you could say. Uh, let's see. It all started with Herbsate. Mm-hmm. Now, Koshan, Koshan Bakery. No, Koshan Butcher. Koshan Butcher. Butcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have a bakery by now. Good. But, you know, I saw a picture you posted on Facebook yesterday. It was a picture of the Crystal Hot Sauce Factory. yeah. yeah. And it made me think, Crystal Hot Sauce is my favorite hot sauce. I, I think it's the best out there. But where in Jackson do you get it now? Oh, you can get it at Whole Foods. You, you can cannot get it, at, get it at Kroger, or at least mine. Well, we buy it all the time. We must get it at Whole Foods. I thought it was at Kroger. But uh, Crystal, you know, at Hal and Mal's, we always have Crystal. Hal and I both decided that we, we thought Crystal was the best. And we've always loved uh, the Brahmer Brothers and Crystal uh, Hot Sauce. But the highlight of the trip for me, of course, was seeing the William Christenberry exhibit and eating at Passion. But on the way back, we stopped in my beloved Ponchatoula, where my Aunt Von Seal, my Aunt Von Seal and Uncle Virgil lived most of their adult life and where I spent lots and lots of time and bought my first flat of strawberries for 2020. That is a wonderful sign that spring is, in fact, here. It's on the way. So I brought the flat back, and uh, Kara cleaned them all up, and, and we ate a bunch of them fresh. And, but we, she cooked me a strawberry cake uh, for my uh, upcoming birthday and made a strawberry confit uh, and, and, and is planning on serving the, the strawberry cake, which was cooked in a bun pan bun style Boy, it sounds delicious with this uh whip homemade delicious whip topping and this uh, strong strawberry drizzle as it were but anyway big strawberry day at the, i would at call the that House. a happy birthday yeah. <laughs> big strawberry day so you know it's it there's a lot of these food days um you know yesterday was peanut butter lovers day i don't know if you had any peanut butter yesterday actually that was saturday Oh, Saturday, yes. I, I would have waited had hmm. I known. Well, anyway, so March 16th is Artichoke Day. Something if, to look forward to. If you want to participate in that. March 24th, National Cheese Steak Day. Now, cheese steaks, that, that's a Philly thing. It's a Philly thing. It's a, yeah, it's East a, it's Coast a sandwich. Uh, it's a hoagie. It's a, it's a, a kind of a po'boy thing with a lot of cheese on top of it with uh, onions and such. And then March 26th is National Spinach Day, which... Well, I want to get on top of that one, too. And so we're going to talk today. uh, We have two guests today. Very excited about that. We've got uh, Chris Ortico and Chef Sean Davis. They've driven up from Hattiesburg. Uh, They have a great restaurant there called Cotton Blues. And I haven't been yet. Have you? No, hadn't been. It's it's actually out. Uh, but I've in studied Oak Grove. the menu, and I have some recommendations for you. Okay, and so we'll have them in the studio, and uh, they've really fallen onto this fantastic uh, cheese cheesecake recipe. And uh, a lot of people think the cheesecake that we know today began in New York. 
I mean, I thought that. I thought Lindy's in New York was the creator of the cheesecake. But if you think that, you would be wrong. Wrong. The cheesecake. Malcolm. Originated. Where, Carol? 4,000 years ago in Greece. Imagine that. And the writer Athenius is credited for writing the first Greek cheesecake recipe in 230 A.D. So that was a while ago. What was your first cheesecake experience? Um, good question. Maybe uh, here in Jackson at the uh, Old Time Deli yeah, in that uh, was Highland a good Village. One. But I remember the only restaurant I ever worked in in my restaurant career where we made our own cheesecakes was at Oliver's and also in Highland Village. We, we used to uh, serve a lot of homemade cheesecakes there. Well, my first one was at Lindy's, the cheesecake place in New York. And I was thinking this morning before coming here that for my 13th or 14th birthday, I got to stay home from school and it's a gift to me. My mother baked a cheesecake. And now this was back in the 60s and you couldn't just find a spring form pan. And it was a really big deal because that's before cheesecakes got to the South, if you know what I mean. Things start on the East Coast and West Coast and then they work their way in. But um, I really appreciate her effort in that. What a sweet mom. Yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, she made you a cheesecake for your 15th birthday, you said? I think it was it was 13th. 13th, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm getting a strawberry cake for my birthday. Well, I believe in that. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. This is our first break of the day. When we come back, we will talk to the owners of Cotton Blues Restaurant, Chris Ortico, and pastry chef Sean Davis who has crafted a cheesecake that will soon be in your grocer's freezer. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. It's a beautiful morning. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett, and we want to welcome the owners the owner, I guess it is, or maybe both of you guys own the place, of Cotton Blues uh, in the Piney Belt, Hattiesburg area, Chris Ortego, and pastry chef Sean Davis. Thanks, guys, for driving up to Jackson from... It was an early morning, wasn't it? Yeah. For us in the restaurant business, yeah, it's pretty early. <laughs> Not too bad, though. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're awfully... We've been excited about it, especially when we saw you walking in with the cooler... Full of cheesecake. Let's talk about the cooler and what's in the cheesecake, <laughs> Chef. Um, we actually brought one of each flavor for you guys to try. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got 
The original um, sea salt and caramel swirl, strawberry swirl, and blueberry swirl. Um, we make all the sauces in house as well as the cheesecake from scratch. So we hope you guys enjoy. I'm well, Java said that it was frozen, and I told him I didn't mind. Carol said, frozen. "Get out the chainsaw. We're eating <laughs> cheesecake." <laughs> well, and a frozen cheesecake is part of one of the secrets of the recipe. Every cheesecake's frozen um, deliberately, straight from the oven, straight to the freezer. So that's why it's a perfect product for grocery stores. It's not a compromise in the standard. It is a standard. Hmm. Every cheesecake I've ever served at the restaurant has actually been frozen. Now, now why is that? Explain to to our listeners. The way it sets, um, when you go straight from the oven to the freezer, it sets a lot quicker. So it's a little bit more light and fluffy than if you just put it in the fridge and let it set. Would you recommend that for the home cook to uh, bring their cheesecake out of the oven and into the freezer? I mean, sure. It depends on your your recipe and uh-huh. form, formulation and everything. But, I mean, you can always try it. Now, you guys are already <laughs> in grocery stores. You're in the corner market stores uh, in Hattiesburg and the ones that are coming to Jackson. I think we're about to have four corner markets, right? Correct. So corner market, Ramey's has got a huge footprint um, in, in our part of uh, Mississippi. And Rouse's, which has got a really large footprint and in New Orleans. And that's a New Orleans base. Correct, yeah. correct. And um, a few other shops here, gas stations sell them, a consignment shop sell them. So I think about 75 stores right now. And it was about all we could handle making them inside the restaurant. So right. we knew it was time to either scale up or quit doing it. All right, we've got a caller, uh, gentleman and lady, uh, calling in. Tom's calling in from, looks like... Mancheck? What does that say? Yeah, Mancheck. It says Mancheck, Mississippi, but, but Manchac, let's check Last time see. I checked was in uh, Louisiana, but he wants to talk about a red velvet funnel cake. What's up, Tom? Well, I was going to say, first off, I love you guys, and I love your show, and I'm glad that you have a pastry chef on today. Ah, well, so yeah. are we. And, and the, yeah, I'm sure. I wish I had some of that cheesecake. But what my question is, and that's Mantachi, Mississippi. Oh, Mantachi. Okay, there we go. I know where Mantachi is. There you go. It's between Fulton and Tupelo. That's right. It's in the Red Hills up there. There you go. But what my question is, I've become recently retired, and um, I started doing funnel cakes at a two-day festival here in Mississippi, and they do it once a month. And last month, I did regular funnel cakes, which, you know what I mean, I use, uh, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch batter, and I use, you know, purified water, and I'm using really good shortening. So, I mean, I'm, I'm making a quality product. But this month, I wanted to try something different, so I tried a red velvet funnel cake, and they are fantastic. What my question is, is instead of just putting powder sugar on it, I would like to come up with some sort of a buttercream, maybe icing drizzle that I could just keep in, like, you know, a a container and, you know, squirt it on it because I'm a one-man show. Hmm. So it's got to be simple. But yet I want to add something to it rather than just the, the powdered sugar. I can right. see I've made, I've made Sean thinking. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And, and I just wanted to have some sort of a buttercream drizzle-like icing. Help me out, guys. All right, Tom, thanks a lot for that uh, question. And we will certainly toss that one off to Chef Sean I mean, and Davis. you may have a new career with red velvet funnel cake. <laughs> right. I mean, who heard? That sounds wonderful. It doesn't get more Mississippi than red velvet, let's be honest. <laughs> Um, I would go with just like, you want just like straight buttercream drizzle or like a cream cheese buttercream since it is red velvet. Yeah, so, something that would, you know, match the red velvet rather than just powdered sugar. Yeah, I would go with just um, obviously Philadelphia cream cheese. It's my go-to cream cheese. We actually use that in the cheesecakes. There's nothing like Philadelphia. 
Um, but mix that with some butter, a little bit of powdered sugar, a little bit of vanilla, and then thin it out with some heavy cream. Be sure to keep it refrigerated, but you should be good to go. Yeah, Excellent. just keep it in a little ice chest in your, your food stand. Oh, yeah. That's similar to what we do on the pancakes at brunch, right? Yes. The, okay. Mm-hmm. okay well, uh, Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate your help, and I love the show. Thanks so much, Tom, and uh, keep it together up there in Mantachi for us. Well, they said the word pancake. I know. Let's talk about Let's that. Let's talk about pancake, because reading your menu, I see a pulled pork. Pancake, Chris. Correct. That's uh, one of our popular dishes. It's we have a lot of popular dishes, but it's that over the top size, enormous dish. Very few people can eat it in one setting type dish. And this is our play on chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffles when we first opened was the trendy thing in food and savory and sweet. And we didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. So you know, you get obviously pulled pork is great on bread. So pancakes bread. It's a wow. sweet bread. So with the syrup and the and the pulled pork and it was and it was actually an idea, you know, we've had a lot of talented chefs that walk through. We survived some and, 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 and been grateful to others. The one we have now is 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 just done an amazing job for That's us for Jordan years. Jordan Creel, wasn't it? Yes. And and you know, truth be told, the restaurant is what's allowed us to launch this cheesecake company and Sean gets a lot of the glory because his cheesecakes are great and we're going hopefully nationwide with them. But Jordan's the anchor that keeps the money coming in and the profits coming in. So we can do this. And, and we're so grateful to him. But it was another manager that he used to work for us who came up with the pulled pork and pancakes. And it was her thought. And we kind of played with it and tweaked it. And and it's an unbelievably popular dish. And we did an eating contest this last homecoming weekend for Southern Miss. And we plan on doing it again where the winner got one free meal a day every day for, for a whole year. And he hurt himself that day. Um, I he mean, was I, a scrawny little guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was. A, it was. I think close to three pounds of food that he knocked down, and in, in about what ten minutes, twelve ten minutes. minutes. So, um, but it, they're delicious, and, and it's, a, it's a really popular dish. So you would say that's really that's the thing when people talk about cotton blues. That's that's what you're known for, or. I don't know if that's it. Say I mean, those we, are those crazy people. It's that make- not. Yeah, it's not our number one seller. It's just that kind of that 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 has to. It's the Instagram shot. It's so big. It's so large. You know, that's that's what that is. Yeah, but we, we have a lot of popular dishes. We've been talking a lot about Instagram is really driving a lot of the food food trends, and you're you're just confirming that. Yeah. That it's an Instagram shot. I love a pancake as big as a hubcap. That's always been the way <laughs> I describe the larger ones. There's the silver dollars, and then there's the hubcaps. So tell us about the restaurant. Tell our listeners exactly where you are and sort of what people would expect if they walked in your doors. And I think you opened in 2012, right? Right. So, you know, any restaurant that can survive eight years has been (laughs) fortunate and blessed. There's no doubt about it. And we're right in the um, center of Hattiesburg on Hardy Street, um, across the street from Target or one light up from Walmart, kind of tucked away back in in a shopping center. But we got a big restaurant. It's 10,000 square feet. Kind of got that shaggy, chic, chic design, and and uh, we just tried to create an atmosphere that had high quality food, done fresh. You know, nothing pulled out of a box or, or you know everything made from scratch, and which isn't easy. There's always challenges. Lots of fresh vegetables, and and um, we wanted to create uh, an atmosphere for everybody. It's it's a big menu, so you go from high end steaks and seafood to nachos and burgers. Um, but we get a lot of rehearsal dinners, lots of pharmaceutical dinners, and. A lot of people coming off the golf course or just passing through town in and, and shorts and with their dogs and their kids. And we get a lot of summer business because we have been fortunate. Our reviews are, 
are strong and and um, we get, have a get unique menu. Get a lot menu. of TripAdvisor reviews from travelers. <clears throat> Last summer, I walked out in the parking lot and um, I think it was either sixteen or eighteen different states accounted on license plates in, in the middle of summer, which is wow. something we're really proud of. Well, you say that your food is southern inspired. I think that's one of the descriptors that you use and. Who comes up with the dishes? Is it a, a collaboration, or are you the uh, restaurant man, the guy that's? Well, we've had some dishes that have been on since day one. So, and and every dish I'm involved in, but it's always a collaborative effort. I mean, there's food is food is subjective. It's an opinion. There's plenty of huge chain restaurants that I don't think are very good, but they have 1,500 restaurants, and so I have one. So, what do I know? You know, it's just it's just an opinion, and and no one's too good in our restaurant to, to take a suggestion or too proud to take a suggestion. This, this day of temperamental chefs that, you know, don't want feedback or everything's their way. I, I don't think a chef can survive in this modern world and where food is. You see so much on Instagram or food network. So, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of dishes or dishes that came from, from, uh, a gentleman that helped me open the restaurant that are still on the menu. That still are some of the most popular dishes eight years ago. And he was gone a year into the restaurant and there's, New dishes that get created. We're about to roll out a new menu here um, in the next month. Some changes, a good amount of changes to our brunch menu. Um, and there's new dishes that have come from everybody. And you've been consistently voted best brunch in the Pine Belt. And you've had some statewide awards, too, for your brunch, right? I believe so. we definitely gotten some attention. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on rewards or, or, you know, those are articles get written and we're grateful for them. Um, I look at how many people come to the door and keep coming back through the door and that's what really matters. And, and it's a business, and man, it's a business. And, and, you know, that's, and, 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 you know, without that, you know, sales cure all evil in the restaurant business. So, you know, you have to, you have to take care of that. But, you know, so many people focus on marketing or advertising, which is important, but the best marketing and advertising is focus inside your four walls and focus on your operations and your service and try to do the right thing. And that's, that's the way you grow business. Well, let's talk about business a little bit because, I mean, you, you came up in the management side of the business. Correct. And I'm sure that that has really contributed to the success of the restaurant because you you know how to manage, you know how to budget, you know how to make money. So tell us about your track. Yeah, so making money is obviously crucial to any business, but I think where a lot of restaurants fail, you get people who have good food or good recipes and they haven't been in this business I mean, it's leadership and it's leading people and getting people to buy into what you do. The reason the Patriots win all the time is not because they have the best players. It's because their team buys in to everything and they do everything as a team. And I think that's the hardest part. You know, in the restaurant industry, you're managing 16-year-old hostesses and, 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 and dishwashers and everything else in between. And if you can't lead a crew and get them to all buy in, you're never going to be successful. And if all you're trying to do is put as much money in your pocket as you can and not reinvest your in your profits and reinvest in your people, you're not going to have a successful business no matter what industry it is. Right. Well, well, you started it. The, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, Malcolm, Malcolm can uh, amen to that. But you started in the mm-hmm. private club management business. Is that correct? No, I mean, I started in restaurants, and then I, I moved over to private clubs and did that for a long period of time. And that's this what I was doing. would be like doing. country clubs or golf clubs. Correct, or- exactly. All golf courses, a few in Houston, um, one in Hattiesburg. And it taught me a lot. Um, they are a unique business. But from a food and beverage side of things, things are different every day. Different weddings, different events, different member guest tournaments. 
and you have to adjust and adapt and train on the fly. And, and so it gives you a skill set that's different from a restaurant where it's the same every day. When I, when I went and opened this restaurant and left country clubs after probably 12, 13 years, I, I, was, I cannot wait for everything to be the same every day. <laughs> and I mean, and, and, and that's really not true of the restaurant business, but compared to private country club food and beverage, it, it really is. All right, gentlemen, thanks for uh, being here. we got a long show ahead. It is time for a little break, so we'll take a little break and come back. When we do come back, we will explore your cheesecake that has certainly made its way from your doors uh, into from the restaurant into grocery stores across the southeast. Please stay tuned. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And hey, Mal. Hello, Carol, how in the world are you? I'm so good, and I'm so happy that it's your happy birthday tomorrow. Won't be long. They just keep coming around, you they know. They sure do. It works like that. Today on the show, we've got Chris Ortigo, the owner of Cotton Blues in Hattiesburg in the Piney Belt area, along with pastry chef Sean Davis, who is the author of their own available cheesecakes uh, in grocery stores all in the southeast and we hope that you will poke around and look for those i think they're called cotton blues cheesecake carol's reaching over across the table there to take a gander yes i'm waiting for it i'm not going to wait much longer and we'll be in all the mississippi kroger's real soon probably in the next 30 45 days and your tagline is made in mississippi approved in New York, is that Mississippi made, New York approved, New York approved. All right, so Sean, tell us a little bit about your culinary path and how you came to work at Cotton Blues uh, in the Hasburg area. Um, I grew up in Purvis, Mississippi, yep. and as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to Las Vegas to go to culinary school. Um, once I graduated there, I actually came back to Hattiesburg. Um, I was going to wait a few years because I wasn't quite old enough to work at any of the casinos or anything. Um, and then I spent a couple of years working at a little bakery on Hardy Street called C'est La Vie. We oh, listen to you guys every morning. Well. <laughs> we what, miss C'est La Vie. What, what a, a great spot. A great thing for Hattiesburg. Oh, too. yeah, for sure. Hey, Sean, did you fella? make any croissants? I did. I did. <laughs> hey, Sean, what was the fellow's name that owned it? Janusz. Janusz. And Janusz. he came he's to Hattiesburg. He's not with us anymore. He, he's um, passed. But. He came to Hattiesburg because his daughter got a tennis scholarship yep. or was a tennis coach at USM. She was the tennis pro. The pro. So she um, she coached and did a lot of tennis stuff. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, how did you guys get together? Well, I mean, it was an interesting story. And one thing I've learned through my 43 years is we are all connected somehow. And I, I'm a huge believer in, in karma and things are meant to be the way they're meant to be. And, and um my father was in the ER for something, and Sean's mom was his nurse, and they met. And my dad's bragging about me being the general manager of Cambridge Country Club, and she's bragging about Sean just graduating from pastry school. And so, well, maybe they should talk and meet. 
So Sean called me a few days later, said, hey, are you interested in a pastry chef at the club? And I said, sure, you have to be able to do this, 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 and that, or otherwise I can't justify the salary. I'll have to keep buying frozen desserts. He's supposed to follow back up with me, and I never heard from him. I was not ready. <laughs> so um, I had given the owner of the country club a 90 days notice. I had to give him a long notice when I was moving on to open the restaurant. And I was down to, like, the last two days of being there. And I'd already cleaned out my office. Maybe the last day I was supposed to be there. And I'd forgotten something there. So I went back to my office to get it. And it's a Monday. The club was closed, and the phone rang. And I, I hadn't answered the phone in five years. I had people to help me answer the phone. And for some reason, I don't know why, I was like, forget it. Just pick up the phone. So I picked this it up. This was a landline. Landline. It's my office. This was ringing the main number to the club. And, and I grabbed the phone, and it's Sean. He says, hey, do you remember me? I got a pretty good memory. I was like, yeah, I remember you. What happened? He said, I, you know, you rattled off that list, and I wasn't confident enough in myself yet. So I went to go work for this local bakery in town, C'est La Vie, that we just mentioned. He goes, but I think I'm ready to go out on my own. Do you want a pastry chef for the club? I said, nope, but I sure want one for the restaurant. <laughs> and, you know, we had taken over an old Winsel's Oyster House, and they had this open kitchen right there in the, in the um, restaurant where they used to grill the oysters. And I hadn't figured out what I was going to do with this open spot. I was going to put beer taps there or something. I said, we're going to make you a little pastry area in here, and we're going to let you do desserts in this kitchen. And that is how it went. And like I said, for the life of me, I don't know why I answered the phone. I think Sean told me. Years later, if you hadn't answered the phone, I would have gone back to school to do something else because I didn't think I could make a career baking. So wow. yep. My mind was That's actually pretty much already made up, and I had a <laughs> little conversation with my stepdad, and he was like, well, what about that order go guy? And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot, you know, not thinking he'd pick up or anything. You were hoping he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> there are not a lot of openings for pastry chefs. There's not. In, in <laughs> Purvis, Mississippi or Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And while cheesecake is your thing, let's talk a little bit about some of uh, the other items that are popular at the restaurant. The strawberry icebox pie. You want to talk about that one? So a bit? the strawberry icebox pie is a collaboration between Chris and myself. Okay. Um, we started with lemon icebox because what gets what's more southern than lemon icebox pie? Yeah. Um, and Chris was like, "We should make a strawberry version." And so I'm thinking and. I'm like, I don't really want to do anything with gelatin, you know, like the old school gelatin set mm-hmm. strawberry pies with the pretzel crust. I'm not I'm big on gelatin. Shoney's. Shoney's. That's, yeah. how, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Everybody goes straight to Shoney's. <laughs> um, but I knew I didn't want to do that. And so we, I played around a little bit and made a strawberry version of it. And it was great. And the next day we came in and it was just floating in a pool of its own liquid. Mm. Um, overnight, the strawberries macerated with the sugar and produced their liquids and syrups and stuff. So we went back to the drawing board. and um, You know, lemon icebox pie is set because of egg yolks and the acid in the lemon juice. Well, there wasn't really much acid with the strawberries, so I had to add some acid of my own. So I actually went with red wine vinegar. About four ounces mm. of pie, and you can't taste it, but it gives it that texture and the structure. Oh. And I tossed the strawberries in some cornstarch to kind of absorb some of that extra liquid, and it worked, and it's really popular now. <laughs> so, can people come in to Cotton Blues and buy a whole strawberry pie? Oh, yeah, we sell lemon ice box, strawberry ice box pies. I mean, holiday season, it's crazy on how many desserts we sell. and. You know, and Sean's telling that story, and it shows cooking is an art. 
faking to science. You got and it. His yes. knowledge is – I've heard him on the phone talking through uh, one of his employees on how to make a dessert and be sure there's no moisture in the bowl and wipe it out because if there is, this is going to happen. And, and the details and, and the knowledge that he has um, is so impressive and it still impresses me. And, I mean, he is truly educated when it comes to, to baking and, and he gets it. And you can fix things when you're cooking. You, know, you can't fix things when you're mm. baking. It's either right from the first step or it's wrong. So yeah. good point. Speaking of pies, you're a pie man, Love Malcolm. A good pie, yeah. I remember when the fine Mockingbird Bakery Ooh, was yeah. rolling in Greenwood that uh, on the weekends you would call me and ask for a lemon please, ice box pie. Please bring me and a so Martha Foose made uh, uh, lemon ice and, box pie and, from I, the and many traveled in my car back <laughs> to Jackson, but... I'm thinking this is going to be very convenient for you. This is a great stop. This is a great Driving stop up and down the road. I can see a lot of and I pullovers. Think, yeah, I think a lot of Saint friends Levine will be able to, be to do it. used to be my pastry pullover, and now I'm going to switch to cotton blues. We're not too far off the interstate. No, no, it's, so. a, it's, it's easy. <laughs> so tell us, Sean, tell us a little bit about your uh, education, about the culinary school and what you learned there. Where, where exactly did you You say you went out to Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Las Vegas. Um, they taught us a lot about the science behind baking, why things happen the Mm -hmm. way they do. And you don't really learn recipes. You learn procedures and techniques. Gotcha. So for example, the icebox pies, you know, I knew why it's set and what I would need to do to replace certain ingredients and, you know, why things happen the way they do. And you were a young man of 18? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. And and, and (laughs) did I pick up that you were thinking uh, at that point in your life, your career path might be working in a casino, go out there and and learn all of this stuff, come home to Mississippi and work in one of the casinos? That was... Honestly, I didn't plan on coming back home to Mississippi. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, I moved far away because I'm just not a... The small town life and environment got really old really fast for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I moved out there with all these ambitions. Yeah, and that's and, the extreme of bright lights, big city. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of culture shock. So you were too young to actually work in a casino. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You had to be 25. So you didn't think of that beforehand, <laughs> did, did you? I did not. Did not think it through. <laughs> So how are you adjusting to small town life now? You seem to be very happy I'm enjoying and, it. And, and enjoying that. And, and Sean, Sean won't tell you this, but I mean, he's a mama's boy, so I think he ha- he's happy to be mama. he's happy to be close to her. And what he was talking about with learning, not knowing recipes, I actually did a, a tasting interview with Sean, and I had him make me three different pies, and I can't even remember what they were. And and Sean knows how proud I am of him, and 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 and, and I think he's wonderful, but. He didn't blow me away with the tasting interview and the pies, but it was the knowledge of everything that he did. I said, well, we spend more time on the recipe. So we spent months before we opened the restaurant trying different recipes and doing things till we had the perfect perfect recipe. So, Now, you guys also uh, serve <clears throat> breakfast items at night. I, I love that. My father was big on breakfast for dinner. I heard you mention that earlier. We talk about collaboration. It was my mom's idea. You know, I mean, she's like, you know, you should do a, a breakfast, you know, at nighttime for that. And 
it wasn't exactly her suggestion. We played with it a little bit, and, and we served it that way. And there was another dish that she wanted me to try. We have a sweet potato hash, and we use um, – it's really popular, but we use ginger in it, so it can kind of be a little polarizing of a dish. But um, she gave me a sweet potato cake recipe, and I didn't want to do cakes, but it had ginger in it. I was like, sweet potato and ginger, and – that's how we started playing with that I, one. I will guarantee you I've never been polarized by ginger. I'm, no. I'm on my way for ginger. that. And also you have the Cotton Blues breakfast, and that was interesting to me. It's a three-ounce filet and cheese grits, eggs, and crispy sweet cornbread. Which we actually... Is that yours, Sean? It is not. We actually get it from um, Breadsmith right down the road from us. They actually make right. all of our bread for, for the restaurant. Well, that's and, convenient. Yeah, and I know that y'all love to use local <clears throat> purveyors and Mississippi, and and you use Grit Girl Grits from Oxford. Is that right? Correct. Country Girl Creamy, Grit Girl Grits. There's a wonderful video on our website. You know, we have a, a lot of... Uh, videos and talking about being part of the community on our website that that we put on there and 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 um my brother went up to oxford and filmed her and her process of doing the grits and it's a if it's a really interesting video how many pounds of grits would you say you sell a month oh wow that's a question for jordan but a lot (laughs) (laughs) a a lot i mean we write her a pretty big check every month yeah but i mean it's i mean it goes straight corn straight into the the meal and there's, there's one ingredient corn well, I actually made some of her grits this weekend. My uh, boyfriend, John Palmer, has been on a grits fanatic thing ever since Garden and Gun did a 10-page article on it. And I used Grit Girl, and he wanted her recipe on the back, wanted me to make that. And it, it's like a heart attack on a plate. <laughs> it's That's what makes him so good. <laughs> I know. It was two cups of heavy cream, two cups of chicken stock. Then you cook the grits for you know twenty five minutes. Then you add butter, and then there are supposed to be two cups of cheese. We left <laughs> I left the cheese out, but he was a happy man. I'm sure it sounds delicious. Paul Dean says we're your cooks, not your doctors. <laughs> so do y'all use do y'all make cream grits, or do you go with the straight? We oh. use um, Country Girl Creamery milk. And chicken stock we make ourselves. Okay, chicken stock and cream. Mm-hmm. And, and where then, is Country Girl Creamery? Country Girl's out of Lumberton. Oh, yeah. We oh. also use um, boars and garlic and herb cheese in our grits as well. Oh, does Country Girl have a buttermilk? They do. You know, they, it's a small um, dairy, so they can't produce, like, all the butter or buttermilk for us. It just takes too too much milk to do okay. it. But there's a great video there, you know, uh, with the cows and the, their whole process on our website as well. So Tell us about your website real quick while we're talking about it. Uh, cottonblues.com and cottonblueschecake.com. I think we've got some Instagram handles. I, um, Sean would know them. At cottonblues. At cottonblues. <laughs> okay. All right, guys, time for our last break of the hour. If you've missed any part of today's conversation with Chris, Sean, or Carol, or I, they are, of course, from Cotton Blues. You can always listen in from this show or past episodes by subscribing to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, or by downloading the MPB public media app. We still have time. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464, or you can choose an email to food at mpbonline.org. More Deep South Dining right after the break. Stay tuned.
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett, who's checking her watch, which is also her. Well, I'm checking my watch, watch to see what time we can eat the cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. There's one thing right now separating Carol and I, and that's this gorgeous, uh, beautiful, swirly cheesecake. Uh, and that, what kind is this one? That's the sea salted caramel swirl. I Malcolm, do love look some at those swirls. Mm, 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 and mm. they're little. They're these beautiful crevices. Yeah, yeah, crevices. Very art, very artistic, very artful. So this this cheesecake, which is now available in many grocery stores across the southeast, and particularly around Mississippi, uh, is Sean's recipe of your very own, right? It is. And tell it us is. how you came to this recipe that has now become so famous. So when I was growing up, we had three channels on TV, one of which was PBS. Um, my mom did not cook. She cooked a lot. She did not bake a lot when I was growing up. Hmm. So I actually thought that Jell-O no-bake cheesecake was cheesecake. And then I saw an episode, um, with Julia Child on PBS and she was baking a cheesecake. I was like, what is this? She's baking it. (laughs) So I looked up a bunch of different cheesecake recipes and kind of put them all together and made after trial and error what I thought cheesecake should be tastes like and now we have the cheesecake is that before <laughs> culinary school or? it was it was okay. when i was still in high school so you were you were already experimenting yeah yes yeah, so you already had this recipe this. yes sir wow well i know that you can't give away the secret of the cheesecake but tell us without they're what? all really high quality ingredients there's only six of them um they're all the ingredients that your mom or grandmother would buy at the grocery store, you know, Philadelphia cream cheese, you know, sour cream, sugar, um, eggs, graham cracker crumbs, butter, butter, and some butter, butter, vanilla. <laughs> and these are the graham cracker crumbs around the uh, exterior here. Malcolm, it's a work of art. It's a beautiful it's a, thing. It's a beautiful thing. It could go in the uh, uh, the Ogden Museum of, it could. of the South. It, it, it could, certainly could be a visual art piece. <laughs> Um, but Chris, I could tell you wanted to say something about this. Oh, you know, your process. It is one of the secrets, and we tell people this: it's there is no cornstarch or flour in the cheesecake mix. It is only bound by eggs. Doesn't make it gluten free because obviously the crust has got it, but um, it is bound by eggs. And we could tell people the recipe, but unless they know Sean's technique, they probably couldn't copy it. Uh, and you know, we try to be different than a lot of the cheesecakes that are in the grocery stores. Most cheesecakes are thin clear plastic dome, get them to market as cheap as possible. We're a big four-pound, um, big heavy box that you can keep in your freezer and stack things on. It, it's a gift. It's something you would want to walk into somebody's home as a welcoming gift or a Christmas gift. I can't tell you how many banks and other businesses pass them out as, as gifts. Yeah. And um, So we, we went the opposite direction of what you see typically in grocery stores. Is it a small batch cheesecake? It is. Um, we make them in... Batches of 15 at a time. 
Hmm. So, like, we have a lot of control over the quality and hand scraping and mixing and things like that. Cracking whole eggs, no liquid eggs, you know, so. It's beautifully packaged, and so you've got this uh, fantastic box that it comes with, and I guess you ship them as well as having – when you go to the store, is it in in this box? It's in a box like that. We actually improved the box a little bit on our next run with some more visual. It's got a clear window and a picture of the cheesecake on the outside. As we Uh go into other markets, Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama, that don't – know us you know we needed to give them more visibility so that's going to be the next run as we grow this business how has uh, the production of the cheesecake business i guess it's it's part of the business now how has it changed the sort of day-to-day restaurant flow or has it or is it done in a separate space well no it's done in the pastry area um, of the restaurant and it's been it's been a challenge for the restaurant i mean there's no doubt about it but you know we're about to move into our new facility it's a fifteen thousand square foot facility in waynesboro um, the Ramey's family have been very supportive of me, and it's an old Ramey's grocery store that we've renovated and we're moving into. And uh, so we'll get the cheesecake making out of the restaurant, which will allow Sean to start doing some more creative things with desserts in the restaurant, which we're really looking forward to. So, so this must be taking up a lot of space and a lot of mental space and a lot of time. It, it Look, any business is a challenge, but it's been two years of a lot of mistakes and learning, and, and, and you know, nothing's a straight line. It, 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 we take two steps forward, one step back, and, and we've been doing it for two years, and we switched our box production to a local company here from getting boxes from China, and right now I couldn't be more happy that we made that decision. You know? <laughs> so it's just you keep learning and, and, and growing, and, and we think we're ready to take it to the next level. Well, that's great. Sean, we have a lot of listeners out there. I mean, they'll buy cheesecakes, but they're making cheesecakes at home, and we like to give them tips. So uh, can you tell us, how do you recommend you cut a cheesecake? That's always a big topic of conversation. Always use a hot knife, whether you're running it under hot water in the sink or you're like me and have a blowtorch by you at all times. (laughs) Um, A hot, clean knife just goes straight down. Pull the knife out, wipe it off between cuts, and you'll have a perfect slice. And that little QR code that comes on the cheesecake, that's actually an instructional video on how to cut it. So when you get it home, you don't know how to cut it, you scan it, and then it's Sean teaching you how to cut it. All right. What about people who are making cheesecakes at home? Any advice for them? Um, Don't overmix it. A lot of people overmix. Don't overmix. Be gentle. Or don't make it and go buy one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try it, and when you fail, get in touch with Cotton hey, Blue. Hey, when we sell them in the grocery stores locally, they are not sliced. You can just put it on a platter or a cake stand, <laughs> say you spent all day on it. We exactly. won't judge you. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> How many eggs are in one of these rascals? Uh, three. Only three? Only three. Oh, okay. Hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the the restaurant itself. Now, we, you know, more of your menu items kind of... What kind of uh, crowd you get? Is it local and visitors? Is it a combination? It's it's a really diverse crowd. You know, Sunday um, at Cotton Blues is probably the most diverse Mississippi is at any given time, and we're really proud of that. Um, we'll fill up the restaurant, you know, a 10,000-square-foot restaurant. We'll fill it up in 20 minutes on a Sunday, and um, it's it, we've had so much support locally from our Hattiesburg residents, but... TripAdvisor and Yelp have helped level the playing field with local restaurants compared to chain restaurants, and people source us out mm. all the time. And 
our menu, like I said, it's broad. Everything's got a southern twist. So if you take black and redfish tacos, I think might be our number one seller. Well, I wanted to uh, to say that I really support a restaurant that has a whole menu of tacos. Right. I like that. But uh, there's one. Uh, I, I made a few notes here. Fried green tomato tacos. I'm going to try that. But uh, Korean pork belly tacos. I assume since Southern inspires that, that's South Korea. Well, yeah, I think that would be safe to say. He's a Korean barbecue sauce and, <laughs> and, and pork belly. And it's, it's very, you know, that one is Just actually. Just say no to North Korea. Right. <laughs> that one actually, it's funny how certain things catch on. That one is actually, we're considering taking it off for this next menu run because as good as it is, and I think it's one of the best bites on the menu, some people, you know, Hattiesburg is a um, town of habits and comfort and so people are very set on what they eat i can't tell you how many customers come in and say i get this dish every time even mm. though we had this huge menu to choose from so um that one's great and it's definitely one of my favorites the black and red fish we put a pico de gallo a black ip pico de gallo so between the black and fish and the black ip pico de gallo that's our southern twist on a popular fish tacos are very popular but that's our twist on it well when malcolm stops by for his lemon icebox pie mm-hmm. Lemon icebox, pie. lemon icebox pie. I think he'll be ordering the fried chicken tacos. Am I right? You know, I do like fried chicken tacos. Uh, it's pretty simple, but uh, I always think it's fun to to get jalapeno them. coleslaw, uh-huh. hot fried chicken. How many seats in the restaurant? Oh, um, a couple hundred. Chris? I mean, I don't know exactly. I say two sixty, if I remember right. Last time I counted. Um, so it's a big restaurant, and then we actually bring in extra tables at Mother's Day and graduation and. Um, you know, we, we, we put out a lot of food um, in a short amount of time. And, and like I said, it is a um, everything is a collaborative effort. I mean, we, we have so many managers on at one time. And, and um, my motive isn't to make as much money as we can from the restaurant. My motive is to feed people, make them happy and be proud of the business I walked through. And, and um, that's why I don't have four or five of them. I could have opened up more easily, right. but um, we like doing this cheesecake, um, and hopefully that will drive us into the future. Well, guys, let's hit the uh, website, social media one more time. and uh, Cottonblues.com, at Cottonblues. We want to thank uh, Sean Davis and Chris Ortgo for driving up from the Hattiesburg area to be our guest today on Deep South Dining. We are a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributors from list- contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. And next, stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy Health and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell at 11 o'clock. Thank you, Carol Bucket, for another great morning of Deep South Dining. And let's go eat some cheesecake. Let's go eat some cheesecake, y'all. Mm-hmm.